Hello, everybody, and happy new year. This is Why Are Dads, a show that is typically about feelings, relationships, vulnerability, and other squishy stuff discussed in a heartful and funny way, uh, mostly through the lens of looking at dads in movies. I'm one of your hosts, Alex Steed. My wondrous co-host, Sarah Marshall, will join in just a minute. I want to set this episode up a bit. We, we're going to take this week off and then join you all next week to talk about the movie Magnolia. And that's still going to happen. But over the weekend, a thing happened on Twitter. The reason we're going to comment on it is because it has a lot to do with everything we cover broadly in the show. It's to do with pop culture and dads, and performance in main characters and the impact of parenting styles on children and how we communicate and what and who we are as a people, both individually and collectively, and so, so much more. Uh, and it's so funny to think that it is all of these things because it's been reduced to the phrase bean dad. We are talking about how John Roderick, the musician, podcast producer, and performer, became said bean dad. In case you are not on Twitter and this drama has not bled into your universe. John Roderick posted a thread. A thread is basically just like a lot of tweets back to back that are constructed to tell a story. And the thread was about his daughter's inability to use a can opener and then kind of what followed. The narrative read as slightly elevated and performatively over the top, but the core of the story which was about how he handled what he thought was a teachable moment struck a chord for many because he didn't just show the kid how to use the tool. Uh, and it reminded a lot of folks about what bummed them out about their own parents in botched teachable moments and what that meant for them as children and uh, for their relationships with their parents later on. Roderick became what is called in Twitter parlance the main character, a person who has a bad take or does some ridiculous thing and then everyone piles on accordingly. We're going to talk pretty specifically about the dad and parenting elements and about trauma and why we think this struck the chord that it did. We talk a lot about anxiety in kids, parents, and then adults who look back on their childhoods and triggers of PTSD and public discourse. There are some adjacent dramas that have since taken place, specifically that a handful of Roderick's tweets from uh, around 2012 and 2013 came up in which he was using racist and anti-Semitic language and making light of rape and sexual assault in his tweets. On his website, Roderick has since issued an apology about the story itself and about those tweets, offering explanations about these and attributing them to a then obtuse read of the function of irony in uh, being an ally. And there have since been a number of takes on the apology itself, and you can find all of that on the internet. <laughs> if you want to continue reading about the spiraling drama of this situation, it is out there. We, though, are in the feelings business, and we are here to talk about why we think this became the first big Twitter drama of 2021, and what it says about the many themes we've covered to date, and we'll keep covering as long as we are making this show. And next week, we will be back in our normal format, as we said earlier, with Magnolia, and we will be joined by our wonderful friend, Emma Eisenberg. That is enough of an explanation for now. Let's uh let's get into this. Hello, Sarah Marshall. Hello, Alexander Steed. We were just going to do a quick introduction to something that is not our show so we could take a week off. And then yesterday was the most relevant day <laughs> 
to be a show that thinks about dads in pop culture in our entire tenure. I know. <laughs> Tell me how you were made aware of this phenomenon. You don't have to talk about the phenomenon because we're going to, but how you were made aware and and just what it was like to walk into this so people understand. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, Why Are Dads is a show that talks about dads through a pop culture lens and in doing so talks about you know masculinity vulnerability ourselves power all this interesting stuff but uh tell us why that was relevant yesterday uh okay so i think that this originally started the night before last because i saw the original tweet that this was based on before this kind of snowballed and i was like okay Because on Twitter, your entire life is people yanking your sleeve and telling you the beginning of a tiresome story and you choosing to listen or not. And I was like, okay, whatever. I don't know why you're telling me this story on the internet, but maybe you shouldn't be. And then I woke up and went on Twitter around noon or one the following day and like all these people this this thread had continued and all these people were tagging us in it were just like when will you talk about the bean dad you must talk about the bean dad I don't even want to read about the bean dad I just want you to talk about the bean dad and I was like I don't even want to read about this freaking bean dad I just want to hear about this bean dad secondhand because it is already stressing me out (laughs) and you're right like I just woke up feeling like we had bought stock in Apple (laughs) and suddenly it had taken off just for that one day and now everyone's content to move on and and progress past the uncomfortable why are dads questions but but for that one day of bean dad discourse we were relevant yes I think generally, and I I struggle in one way or another with pinning down exactly what and why we are. That's why we summarize the show slightly differently each time. Exactly. And to me, it's the whole thing is an excuse to talk about feelings in one way or another and to create some boundaries around it. But for one day, (laughs) we... <laughs> we're inadvertently exactly the experts on a situation. So here's what happened. Um, there's a man whose name is uh, is John Roderick. He's a musician, is Seattle-based, hosts a handful of podcasts. So John Roderick posted a long theatrical over-the-top recap in which, and I will be honest, I've tried to read the whole thing several times and it is <laughs> tedious because of kind of... Because he's explaining himself to himself and he's not convinced... Yes. And it's kind of clearly theatrical, but in that way where it is saying, look at me, that it's kind of frustrating to read it because of that feeling. Mm -hmm. And the whole gist is essentially his daughter tried to use a can opener, was not able to use a can opener. He saw a potentially teachable moment. And then there's just this long drawn out explanation about her inability to use it, it being on her to try to figure this out. And clearly it's about his anxieties in one way or another about what kids these days should know Mm -hmm. and anxieties in one way or another about himself and his own inadequacies about the things that maybe he should have known. And I think there could have been a good statement in there somewhere. But what it read like is I took all of this 
tortured my child and I'm here to entertain you with it, which I think people are generally sick of as a phenomenon. (laughs) However, he said one thing at the end of this whole long diatribe, which I thought was fascinating. He said, I know I'm infuriating. I know... I know this is parenting theater in some ways. I suffer from a lack of perseverance myself. Mm. And like all parents throughout history, I'm trying to correct my own mistakes in the way I educate my child. She sees through this. He clearly doesn't suffer from a lack of perseverance (laughs) because he banged on about this for six hours. But yeah, okay, that's it. Yeah, that is really interesting. The only piece of this I really feel that was missing is a sense that he's then going to convey this to his daughter, right? Like all this energy went in (laughs) to this theater, which he says this is parenting theater. It's theater on two fronts. One, it's theater to the child, and then it's theater to us about being a parent. So that kind of works on on two places. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about the anxiety, and you've talked about this in other episodes, which people have brought up in in this exchange, about the anxiety that our parents bring to the things that they think we should know. And that anxiety taints the potential lesson because all that we pick up from the lesson is their anxiety and hostility Mm -hmm. about things that we don't even know. Like, why are they so frustrated that we don't know how to change oil? Like we we don't know because they yeah. just bring that anxiety. So it, the only thing I actually felt was missing, outside of this just being too fucking long, was going like, I know I'm tedious. And I also shared that information with my child because what he inadvertently did yeah. was become the main character by doing a thing that none of us want to do. Unlike the third day of 2021, too, which I guess love. Like, he just, I mean, this was like the first, maybe there was something before this, but I think this was the first Twitter drama of the year. He's the first main character of the year. And he, as far as I can tell, like, the tide started to turn against him relatively quickly, and he just got out his little (laughs) shovel and kept digging into the frozen earth like Steve Buscemi in Fargo. Yes, and he, he did this, he did this thing, which is sometimes in your head you're doing one thing, but you are accidentally stirring up a certain kind of PTSD that exists in the collective conscious. Yeah. And the people who are newly experiencing or rehashing old PTSD, A, don't even know why they have that PTSD. And so they kind of have to experience it in real time. And B, you are the person responsible in their heads for right now, at least for making that pain happen. And so (laughs) you're going to (laughs) die. And he did. And I had people tweeting at me being like, is the bean dad your dad? And I was like, it would appear so. And I don't know why this kid couldn't figure out the can opener. But the first thing I thought of when I saw that original tweet, when I was nine, like I'm a little bit hyper mobile. And I think that contributes to the fact, along with my general weakness, that I just as a child had weak little hands you know, or weak, big hands, actually. I've always been like lanky and weak. And (laughs) 
and have the exact same body type as my dad, which I, I believe might inspire some hostility too. Like I, I'm convinced that the way parents are hostile toward their children in a way that they would perhaps never be toward anyone else has something to do with the power dynamic, obviously, but also with the fact that like, here's someone who looks like you, who smells like you, who sounds like you, like they are the personification of maybe this part of yourself, this vulnerable young version of yourself that you're not at peace with yet. And so it's like, are you talking to your child or are you talking to your younger self? And I feel like that's the realization that you're pointing to that like this guy had but and that we hope he shared with his daughter but I think the idea of parenting theater is that the kid can't see behind the curtain or it'll ruin the whole (laughs) effect which is weird because like it's what Mm. what are you yeah like what do you have to hide to make it all work like you shouldn't treat your children as as adult confidants but like they can know that you have baggage and and I feel like you can just be like hey I know you want these beans because beans are great, but <laughs> look, we all love beans. <laughs> we all love beans. I don't want beans to get slandered in this. There's already been so much internet bean drama in the past year. Like, let's not let's just like let beans go gently into that good night as a source of drama. I know you want these beans, and I want you to have these beans. But I feel like if I just open this can for you, then you're not going to learn how to open cans by yourself in a way that makes me fear that you're going to make the same mistakes and have the same character flaws that I have. And then his nine-year-old daughter can be like, that's fucking crazy. How's that going to happen from you helping me with these beans? <laughs> totally. And I, yes, I realized the the surprise evocation of PTSD thing. We should mention that he mentioned that she was crying. I remember this being in the original tweet that I saw that she was crying. Yeah, I realized it because I realized a specific moment. I know that this was my this is my dad in a lot of ways, although my dad had none of the self-awareness that was on display here, which I think was kind of the frustrating thing. Is that you're like, you have if you have this self-awareness, yeah. why would you do this? That I think is the piece that sort of drove a lot of people crazy, whether or not they realize it. But for me, I remembered a time I have not thought about since, which is my father used to maintain an acre by acre garden. That is a big garden. That is like a tiny farm, a big garden. Mm-hmm. He offered me a very little bit of money when I was like seven years old to help take rocks out of the garden and collect the rocks and put them in a rock pile. And I mm-hmm. obviously didn't want to do that. <laughs> and he got very angry at me, but didn't to project the anger at me. He was just, you know, just brooding, angry because it, I think probably in his head, he's like, when I was a kid, I would have loved to get 25 cents to pull rocks out of a garden. And I'm like, I could be playing Nintendo right now. Like, yeah, this makes no sense to me, but it wasn't conveyed. It wasn't like, here is why this is important. Here's why I think this is a real character. And then it made me also think about the how we prioritize learning, which is mostly we don't say, look, kid, learning is good no matter what. Let's learn stuff together. Let's not make it a traumatic process. Yeah. Almost all parents or sort of pedagogical structures teach that if you don't learn this thing, something bad's going to happen. Yeah. That's true. And you know what? 
I've never had to use trigonometry in my adult life. Like I've never needed it, but I'm happy I learned it because I find triangles satisfying and I like knowing how tall trees are. (laughs) (laughs) And I imagine no one made it weird for you. Like so many things that I remember like trying to learn. There was someone on the front end of it who made it weird. (laughs) This is why I didn't learn how to drive until I was 24. I mean, there's other reasons. There's also like poor coordination. (laughs) The fact that it is the most dangerous thing you can do. And I was sort of responding accurately to that threat. But like also because I had my mom give me my first driving lessons and became convinced that like I had to learn how to drive from her and like I wasn't going to learn better from anyone else. And it just meant that we spent like years on and off returning to this place of like captive panic in a little Honda, you know, and just like when you're driving along and someone is is acting terrified the whole time, then like you're not going to not feel terrified. And like it wasn't her fault. She just wasn't able to like she just does not have the demeanor for driving instruction. And one of us should have realized that at some point, but it took years. Another thing I haven't thought about since then is I just remembered the process through which I did that same thing, which was this. It never dawned on me to talk to my dad about it because I knew that that would be a zero sum game. I know it was on my dad's plate. It just wouldn't have happened. Like it would, it, for all the reasons you just ex- explained, plus more in a scarier, gianter man, it wouldn't have happened. So what I did <laughs> was I practiced, drove my girlfriend's car for hours and hours and hours with her very illegally. And then I had my manager at the mall sign off on my hours. He was the guy who ran a t-shirt cart, so it was fine. And then I had the man who gave me and sold me pot at the restaurant I worked at take me to the DMV, pretend to be my guardian. (laughs) And that's how I got my driver's license. And then he took me, I was so tall, he took me out for drinks after and no one ID'd me. Um, I had one drink, he had five, and then I drove him home because he was too drunk to drive us. And I have a license now. That's wonderful. Yeah, and I waited until I finally had a friend in grad school who had a calm demeanor. And I was like, would you just teach me how to make left turns? And he was like, yeah. And we just drove around strip malls for like three months. Your story is better. (laughs) I realize now that I said all that out loud is so much of my childhood was internalizing and realizing all the impossibilities of coexisting with my Mm. father and then creating alternative systems for for thriving still, because I knew that if I didn't, I'd be stuck with him. You're kind of like this bizarro Kevin who like is living with Mary and Marv, but like you have to create all these. <laughs> Holy shit. That's these, amazing. These complicated devices and inventions to just, I mean, I feel like just so much of, of the stories that we tell and that we remember often have to do with having to find like pieces of parent or people that can do for you what your parents can't do or couldn't do when you needed them to do it, or just retroactively working on completing what they weren't able to offer you, or going back and looking at what they did offer you and being like, that's bullshit, and then having Mm. someone else paint over it and do something better there. So, like, I don't know. I I mean, why do you think that this tweet thread got as long as it did and that this whole... I mean, I know why these pylons 
happen on the internet. Like, I don't think that that's really, they happen. They happen because they have to happen and because someone, you know, says the right wrong thing in the right wrong time. And like, that all makes sense. But like, why do you think that this bean dad could not release his jaws from whatever he got himself obsessed with in this this flash in the pan moment of of New Year's internet dumb. I don't know. I mean, I I think if this was a moth story, it would have been fine. <laughs> it would have been totally fine because yeah. it's like you understand that it's kind of performative. You understand that there's some embellishments. You understand that stuff. It's a good point. It was a confluence of things. I think one is we're kind of learning, although. <laughs> This could be proven so poorly and so badly in a couple of different ways uh, Wednesday and a couple other days to follow. But we're kind of learning how to exist on Twitter post Trump, which I think is a really big deal because he at the end of the day, well, he's the main character every day and everyone else is a is a secondary character. We hadn't really yet internalized this like hour long audio in which he was trying to like strong arm the Georgia, what is it, the Georgia Secretary of State or whoever to try to uh, you know steal the election one way or another. We're just like, oh yeah, there's Donnie out there trying to steal another election. That's his thing. We're learning what that looks like after the fact. I think that that's part of it. And I think also, again, like I don't know what it is where people don't go. This looks like it, maybe it's getting misinterpreted. Like, here's really what happens. This was like a performance. You know? <laughs> People dig in and they they lash out. And I, I didn't follow any of that. I just followed that I knew that this resonated with people in a really, really big way. You know, my sense of why it touched people is that you would never go on Twitter and proudly talk about something you recognized as abuse. But people were recognizing this dad talking about something that they... I think identified either as abusive parenting or as just, if they didn't use that language, just like the kind of parenting they received and really wished they hadn't. Yes. And to me, like, I would say that that behavior is like, I wouldn't call that in itself abusive in terms of if I experienced it in my own life, but it is a pattern of being treated in a way that I would describe in my own experience as abusive because again and again you aren't yourself you are this person's vision of themselves as a child or what they're afraid of you being or what they're afraid of themselves being and they never get to talk to you and you never get to have lunch yeah I think that that's the I think that that's the thing it was it was a flavor adjacent to a lot of people's negative experiences with their dads right it's like hearing a bit of a song that like you wouldn't think it would be so resonant, but then you just have like Skimble Shanks, the railway cat stuck in your head for two days. Like I do right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's also the reason why we find Hannibal terrifying as opposed to Son of Sam, mm. right? Or Ted Bundy as opposed to Son of Sam. Like The legend of Ted Bundy, because real life Ted Bundy was a fucking idiot who didn't control his behaviors very well at all. But yeah, the legend of Ted Bundy is totally that. It's one thing to be around someone who you think is deranged and unhinged and doesn't have control of their actions in one way or another. It's a particular sort of largely imagined monstrousness about the person who can control it, is aware of it, and wields it anyway. And you're right, the legend of Ted Bundy in, in, in this case. But that was the thing that made this thing so confounding. If you can summarize at the end that you understand why this is twisted, 
Again, as a moth story where you're self-deprecating, you own some of the stuff. I get it. When people see this and find that this is some form of like audience building and entertainment. And then not only that, it reminds them of the stuff that they went through. And then they associate the stuff that they went through with what feels like someone commodifying this traumatic experience with their children for the sake of getting attention. Yeah. Obviously it's going to blow up in some way if enough people see it. So what's the moral of this story? (laughs) Well, I mean, one thing I think is that people need to expect to be bitten in the ass by mining their children for content. And I kind of wish that happened more often. I mean, this is an industry like the the business of having a child, which I don't think this guy was doing. Like, I think he was mainly tweeting about whatever the hell he does normally. And then like made this foray into talking about parenting in an unsuspecting way, perhaps, which maybe explains why he didn't know what a snake pit he was going into. But like kids and social media are a big business. And like you can make a very nice living for your family by commodifying your babies or your young children's behavior on Instagram or, oh my God, I almost said Videodrome. It's not called that. It's called YouTube. You can make a good living by putting your videos on Videodrome. (laughs) I listened to David Cronenberg's Videodrome commentary the other day and he recorded in 2004 and YouTube rolled out in 2005 and it's just like you gotta get them back gotta do it again (laughs) 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 but then you know if you do that then you are opening yourself up theoretically to people being like hey this thing that you see is your business because it's between you and your child is not just your business anymore because you're sharing it with the internet for attention and or profit or whatever reason and I mean, oddly, like, I think one of the things that I think is is a tough thing, especially in the lives of American children, is that it's hard at times for kids to find non-parental adults, mm. like adults that aren't parents and aren't teachers, because a teacher is someone you potentially have an adversarial relationship with unless you're, you know, a certain kind of student. And just like having adults in their lives who can call something out of line, something that a parent does, because when you're a child in a family, like you have no rights unless your parents are concerned with giving you rights and they don't have to be. And that bothers me a lot. Mm. And so I think there's this weird thing where if you invite the Internet into your home, then like, you know, there's all this stuff in there that I think that I feel very ishy about, you know, this idea of putting images of your child on Instagram from the time they're in the womb, you know, growing up without really ever having the opportunity to opt out of being depicted in this way because uh, possibly because by the time you're able to comprehend what's going on, uh, your family is financially dependent on it and you can't really rumble that. Yes. But also alongside of that, I feel like there's this phenomenon as well where like if you tell a story that you think is funny... (laughs) about something that you did as a parent and then the internet thinks it's not funny. Like that's one of the rare times when like some kind of countervailing cultural force has a say in what's happening in individual households, which I think there's, there's positives there. Like I like that this dad got to hear from a lot of people that this wasn't a cute story at all. 
the counter to this that we haven't really talked about or that I didn't see come up yesterday is I don't con- condone the behavior. I think it needed to be called out. I'm glad that there was a discussion about that. Obviously, it was performative. But so much of what you're talking about with what people do with their kids from an innocent place where they hardly even think about it to a manufactured image of at-home perfection is itself a weird lie. Here's our five children, Jayla, Kayla, Brandon, Mackenzie, and Kennedy, and they're all wearing beige and everything in our house is beige. And it's like, did you get one of those designer toddlers that doesn't throw up? Like, how's this happening? Yes. Through the manufacturing of that lie, what's taken off the table are opportunities for conversations about how to coexist with the child, how to be a good parent that goes beyond just sort of like platitudes, et cetera. It, it takes off the table an opportunity for meaningful conversations when the fixation is just like this child as a mannequin that projects some image of being of, of some beautiful household. And I don't agree with how this thing went down. I think that it, the things that resonated with people m- make sense. But I'm glad that it happened because someone was telling their version of an embellished truth of what it's like to be a parent. And it made for an opportunity to talk because so much of putting kids online does not evoke an opportunity to have a conversation about what's really fucking going on in people's homes with their children and with their relationship with teaching and learning. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it feels like taking a picture where you're like accidentally showing a nipple, like Elaine's Christmas card on Seinfeld. You know, like you're trying to project this nice facade and then people can see around the corner and then you have to rub George's face in your boobs. Um, which I'm sure it was the best day of his life. <laughs> no doubt. This is one of the things I think social media is actually useful for is people telling on themselves and then being noticed. And if we could have some kind of, you know, I don't, yeah, it's it's also a testament to how you can't force someone <laughs> to think about what they're doing, that uh, we just sort of try and get people to quit Twitter if they do this kind of a thing, which I think is actually, Twitter itself is a very bad parent. It's like, are you pleasing to me? No. <laughs> Go away forever. I can't discipline you. I can't control you. Leave me. Actually, not the worst parent, but not the best parent. It, as a result, creates a standard for interaction that excises particular kinds of interaction and forces it more into the category of the staged good-looking child picture. Because there is a situation where people don't, you know, that, that it's scary to be vulnerable in public because if you're vulnerable in public, <laughs> you might be vulnerable the wrong way. I don't think that's what was necessarily happening here because this wasn't about being vulnerable in public. This was about creating a performance around being neurotic. And we got to see the phrase bean dad trending next to Paul Ryan, which I realized I was in bed last night and I sat up. It was like one in the morning and I was like, wait, Paul Ryan is also a bean dad. <laughs> do you remember this i will always remember this yes. in the vice presidential debates they were like paul ryan why are you against abortion and he was like my wife and i had a baby and then the ultrasound we nicknamed her bean and so yep that's my position <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I am the original Bean Dad. He is. He is. He's Paul Ryan is the Bean Daddy. We know who the Bean Dad is, but who is the Bean Daddy? And it's Paul Ryan. <laughs> I feel we've put this this issue to bed. Yeah, thankfully. I mean, the issue by the time this happens, like the issue's already out. Paul Ryan, who took those middle-aged Christian weightlifting photos <laughs> on purpose, invited a photographer, set up a time put on those clothes, made those faces, looked at those prints and were like, this is, I like these. Like, (laughs) that is the bean daddy. (laughs) An idiot who commits to his ideas. I would, I would say my, my one primary takeaway is don't make learning anything punitive for your child to make up for your feeling like some of being a young human being needs to hurt in order for lessons to be valid. Yeah, they don't have to. They will anyway without you. Yes. So I don't know why you think you have to do it. <laughs> the trauma is going to happen no matter what. <laughs> what side of it do you want to be on? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's yeah, that's really good. And also, if your child asks you for help with a can opener and that inspires some sort of intense response in you that's probably about you (laughs) (laughs) 